Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive podcast, Emerald City Hockey, Seattle Kraken podcast. We got a good one today, RJ. Going to talk about lots of interesting stuff. Obviously, how the team has performed this past week. Hint, spoiler warning, pretty darn good. Uh, Going to talk about um, a, a really interesting deep dive at the at the back half of this podcast into the Davy Jones hat. Who gives it to who? Is there any sort of pattern there? Like lots of incredible stuff. Some amazing work was done over on Discord. We're really going to dig into that. I'm excited for that. Going to talk about the trade deadline as well since that just came to pass. But first, RJ, just because everybody wants to know, what's the what's the latest on Andre Burakovsky? Uh, good. We're getting to this right away. So Ron Francis gave us an update on Andre Burakovsky at his trade deadline presser. Ron says he believes that uh, Burakovsky start, started skating that day. So on trade deadline day, March 3rd, uh, although he didn't see it himself. He made sure to tell us that because he was busy with all the trade deadline stuff. But that is the next step in Burakovsky being able to come back and play for the Kraken again, getting on the ice and skating. And I'll be able to keep you much more updated on that once the Kraken get back in and they're at KCI again tomorrow. So follow our social media for that. Yes, definitely looking forward to that. And that's 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 a good way to kick off this deep dive presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall, RJ. There we go. Just some some quick news and notes right away. Another quick uh, news item to get to before we talk about the deadline. Uh, Chris Drieger, been playing with Coachella Valley, RJ. Uh, looking pretty good. Off to a 2-1 start with Coachella Valley with the Firebirds there. Um yeah, I mean, it's, you know, to be expected, but it's it's nice to see as he gets back into some game action uh, after being out so long, working on that, uh, rehabbing that injury. For sure. And we talked about the next step for Burakovsky. I mean, this is the next step for Chris Drieger in his recovery and an eventual return to the NHL. Ron Francis did talk a little bit more about Drieger and emphasize that he just needs to get a few games in, get those reps in at the AHL level. Because it's so difficult, and we talked about this in the deep dive, I think, a couple of weeks ago. It's so difficult to get thrown right into an NHL playoff race, NHL games, when you're trying to recover from an injury and just especially as a goalie, get back to playing your game. So that's the spot he needs to be in, and it'll just take some time. I think he needs to get into multiple games, uh, needs to probably spend a couple of weeks at least in Coachella Valley, and then the Kraken can start thinking about maybe getting him into an NHL game if he feels okay. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you on that front. I just got to quickly mention the wonders of the AHL website, theahl.com, which I love that that's the website. Uh, got to make sure you have the the in front of AHL there. Uh, you, what are you they, know, Ohio State University? I, I guess so, which I believe tried to copyright that or trademark it, the, 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 the. Um, that's, All right, well, good thing for the AHL that they couldn't. I know, I, I know, right? Uh, what I love about their website, RJ, is as we've talked about this before with, when looking up like Riker Evans and stuff, AHL doesn't seem to track ice time uh, or time on ice, or at least not, they doesn't publish it on their website. Um, I found something else looking up uh, recently, which is they don't publish face-off win you know, percentage. So like, you know, we're looking at, at trying to, this is actually Jen, uh, our, our wonderful photographer who brought this up and was like, could the Kraken call someone up from Coachella to just win some face-offs for him? And I was like, well, let me go see if anybody, you know, how guys are doing down there. It's like, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> they, don't, they don't track face-off wins for anybody, which is interesting. However, as I'm on Chris Drieger's page, you scroll down on his player page, it has the entire image library of all of the profile shots he's ever had at the AHL level. 
Interesting. Which it's it's kind of fun to watch that. It, it, see him baby faced, very very blonde back in the day. Everybody, you could go check it out. But I'm just wondering why the AHL website has that function, but they they can't seem to track ice time or face off wins. Well, again, I think I have the answer. Just talking around with some people while the AHL was in town with the Firebirds. Yeah. Sounds like some of the people in charge don't want it out there. All right. GMs, the coaches and such. They don't want that information publicly available, it sounds like. Wow. Interesting stuff. No problem with the old headshots, apparently. That doesn't provide a competitive advantage to your opponents. I think it could. I don't know. Yeah. I I especially love looking at these Drieger shots because it's like, pick out the one where you think he was spending significant time up with the Florida Panthers because he's significantly more tan. (laughs) In that that picture, it looks like he's seen some sun, unlike some of the other ones there. Uh, Good good stuff there. Uh, All right. So let's let's kick things off with the trade deadline, RJ, because that was, you know, obviously a big focal point for all of the NHL leading up into the deadline on Friday. Lots of moves happened in the week ahead of time, not so much on deadline day, which is becoming more and more regular in this league. Uh, but the big thing that we should talk about is, and you've already you know dropped a little bit of it, is you, you, you took part in the Ron Francis trade deadline presser. Obviously, we know the Kraken didn't do anything. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on the presser from Ron Francis, and then we can talk about you know the idea of the Kraken not doing anything. Right. Well, the general idea of not doing anything, Ron Francis kind of outlined in the presser right away. And it's nothing we hadn't really heard before because he came out in in, an interview with John Forslund for uh, like the Root pregame show and on a couple different outlets. It kind of hinted that he probably wasn't going to make any major moves. And he basically had his talking points and kind of staked his claim. Look, he said, I like this group. We like the group we have. We don't want to mess with any chemistry. And that's their chief concern that one, you don't want to get involved in the rental market because you're just throwing future assets for players that do you really feel like that's going to make a difference to win you a Stanley Cup right now? And I think anyone looking at this realistically can see the Kraken are not favorites to win the Stanley Cup. I think we can all admit that. Um, And then as far as, well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit later about players that might fit for now in the future. Um, but that seemed like something he wasn't really interested in either. So those were kind of the general talking points from Ron Francis about his overall strategy. Uh, he even joked that, as you mentioned, that you know some of the trades happened earlier. He joked that uh, he thought that maybe someone moved the trade deadline to Wednesday and no one told him <laughs> because there was so much action on that day. Um, But ultimately, yes, Ron Francis choosing to kind of stand pat and ultimately take his trade deadline advice from the Magic Conch. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what the Kraken end up doing. Very, very good reference there. Um, Yeah, and this is something that you and I had talked about leading up to it. I think we've talked about it last week on the deep dive that, you know, if the Kraken, we were kind of come around to this idea of just roll with this group. This group has kind of gotten you there. They're pretty decent. They're, they're really good, actually. Uh, and, and you can just go with it. Don't sell out the future. This doesn't seem like the time to do that as far as what your you know true cup contending window is going to be with players like Matty Beneers, wait for a Shane Wright, go through you know all the, all the wonderful prospects that they have uh, in the pipeline. So I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. Again, this is just one of those things. Ron Francis, he just tells us ahead of time what he's kind of going to do. And, and we just, you know, we got to listen more uh, is the bottom line with him. One name, though, was floating around 
on like deadline day and, and certainly maybe the day or two before that as well. And that was James Van Reems die card, Jay. And this one was intriguing because it sounded like the Flyers asking price for him was really, really low. So it did make you kind of wonder like, okay, could Ron Francis pull the trigger here, give up maybe a third round pick, something, you know, not too significant to, to go ahead and bring somebody in who could maybe play net front for them on the on the power play, kind of get stuff done there, some more depth scoring, somebody's kind of been around and done that all before, you know what I mean? Um, how, how close do you think that that really was, RJ? Uh, it doesn't sound like it was very close, and, and Ron Francis did say there, there's a lot of rumors out there, there's a lot of talk, uh, and a lot of it is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, some of, the, some of the times that Seattle was floated as a name that could be interested in certain players, probably not always accurate and and i know ron francis he's not gonna even if he was in there on certain players he's not necessarily just gonna tell us he says he doesn't comment on rumors for for trades that don't end up happening but you know with the jvr thing the more reporting that's come out it doesn't sound like the kraken were seriously involved detroit seemed like they got very close to the finish line uh on a deal for him but it never came together flyers gm chuck fletcher trying to defend his failure to move jvr uh basically said i didn't get any serious offers for him um and, and i don't think he said something to the effect of i didn't even get like a fourth round pick offered for jvr so um that shows that the kraken were not in that to a serious extent i think if you're seriously going after jvr you're willing to offer at least a fourth rounder probably probably that's what that's what i would say uh you're looking to add you gotta you you know you gotta give something up uh probably not going to be one of those future consideration deals when you're talking about an nhl regular like jvr um it's it's still interesting though because you know you mentioned all the rumors around the kraken that was really the only rumor that i that felt like leading up to the deadline was around the Kraken adding. Instead, we were getting lots of rumors of names being on the block. Obviously, Carson Soucy is somebody that you and I have talked about, everybody's really talked about, just because he is on that expiring contract. The defensive, the defenseman market being what it is, it, it wouldn't be surprising for a team with an expiring contract on the blue line to potentially shop someone there just because you can generally get a, a ton of value for them. Uh, but other names were also floated around that definitely just felt like rumors to me, including Morgan Geeky and Will Borgen. And Morgan Geeky, right after a game where he scores a couple yes. goals, I that that one felt a little too convenient to just throw out there right just before the trade little. deadline. So yeah. I, I was never really buying that. Um, but yes, uh, some other names out there: Will Borgen and and of course Carson Soucy, the pending UFA. And I I didn't ask about you know why you chose not to be a seller you know at that presser and I think nobody really did because we understood that Ron Francis isn't going to be well I you know I thought long and hard about trading away some of the players that we still have uh and you know I I felt like I could have gotten rid of them but the price wasn't quite good enough he's not going to say anything like that you know I never considered moving them they're integral parts of our team is what we would have gotten um so I it's hard to know how much he actually considered being a seller there was Mm -hmm. you know talk around that he was thinking about it I really just think the plan all along was to stand pat. I don't think yeah. he wanted to get involved at, at all. I mean, <laughs> it's tough. This is not actual reporting or anything, you know, for, like good or professional. But like <laughs> Ron Francis, I think it was like a few days before the deadline. It was the Kraken's last practice beforehand. And so I was at KCI and I just happened to like run into him where he was going out the door one way. I was going in the door to go to KCI and he held the door open for me. And I, I just looked at his face as he was doing that. He looked so relaxed and happy 
Like that was not the face of a man who was going to be wheeling and dealing with the deadline. I saw what he looked like last year ahead of the deadline. <laughs> he looked stressed out, you know, as you would expect. So I'm like, okay, this guy's probably not going to do a whole lot. Uh, just, just the vibe that I got. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Francis was really that interested in being a seller. Yeah, I was going to say, I can loosely confirm that story because you told me later that day. And you were like, I don't think the Kraken are going to do anything. And you, you definitely got the the right read on, on that there. Yeah, I just I just bring it up because, you know, there was a lot of people, especially when, when names like Kiki and Borgen get brought up, people get like worried, like, oh, are the Kraken really going to do something like that? And I bring it up just to showcase that, um, you know, for insiders, the deadline is like their most exciting time of year. And it's when they uh, really, you know, get active and everybody's looking at them. So they, they sometimes tend to just, float a lot of stuff out there that doesn't really have a ton of merit to it uh, just because that's what that time of year calls for from the media side of things I mean we talked a ton about the deadline too just because it does draw interest it does help us out that is like part of our our job so to speak uh, but I, I just wanted to let everybody know like you know if you ever see your favorite player or your favorite Kraken floated in some of those rumors it you know you don't have to freak out you don't have to worry too much right away just because it, that's just what happens this time of year. And we saw it uh, very clearly this season, this this uh, past deadline with the Kraken, both from a buying standpoint and a selling standpoint. So just want to yeah, throw that's, that That's a good there. PSA for everyone there. Yeah, just, you know, don't, don't worry until there's really something to worry about. Uh, the final thing about the deadline that I want to talk about, RJ, though, is Jacob Chikrin, because infamously... Last week, I gave a, a surprise like, "Hey, I think Ron Francis should do should make a run for for Chikrin. Uh, here's a here's a proposed trade I've thrown together, RJ. What do you think?" And you know, I worked very hard to try to make that seem like a fair, realistic offer. You agreed that it seemed like a fair and realistic offer. Some other people we talked to agreed that that seemed like a fair and realistic offer. And then Jacob Chikrin finally gets dealt by the Coyotes to the Ottawa Senators for basically nothing compared. To to what my deal was that seemed realistic and fair uh it gets moved for uh, like a, a first and two seconds essentially <laughs> like yeah basically i'm still i'm still in shock over this rj i have no idea how this happened it's one of those though where there's there's multiple aspects i want to talk about obviously i want to kind of cover things on my end because i was acting like we'd have to give up everything for him and apparently we didn't uh but really it's it's more so i i mean I'm I'm just kind of wondering. We talked about this on our on the Red Glare podcast, which is our league wide podcast over on Patreon. Um, but I'm just still kind of confused. Like, if that's really what it was, I would have liked the Kraken to maybe been in on this. Like, you could have upped that offer, and it still wouldn't have come close to giving up as much as I was saying you'd have to. Yeah, there was a lot of room in between uh, your offer and what he actually went for. Uh, a lot of room. <laughs> a so lot, yes. <laughs> Right. And so you'd think that with the assets the Kraken have, that they maybe could have been competitive in, in a Jacob Chikrin deal. And I, I do think there is a case to be made for that. I do think there were some enlightening comments from uh, Coyotes GM Bill Armstrong. He, mm -hmm. he was pretty candid talking about what he was looking for in that deal, what he was and wasn't able to do and why that return, you know, it ended up being what it was. Right. Um, and I think it's fair to say that he was pretty hamstrung by ownership and by the circumstances and the constraints that were given to him by ownership. And a big part of that was that the Coyotes basically could not take any money back in that deal. 
whether it was retaining salary on Jacob Chikrin or taking back a player's salary to make the money work. It sounded like that was just basically off the cards for the Coyotes. And so a lot of contending teams, that's what they would have needed to do to get a deal done. And it sounded like a non-starter for Arizona. So that significantly reduces your market there. That's going to reduce your asking price. But I don't think the Seattle, I, the, the Kraken were in that position though. Right. I think you could make a deal without having to send any money back, whether that's shipping out a Carson Soucy real quick to, to make the money work, or you can always just utilize LTIR with Donskoy until you can, you know, maybe move a Soucy out or, or just figure something out. I mean, you can deal with Matty Benier's bonus overages next season if you want. Basically, you can make this deal work right away without sending any money out or needing the Coyotes to retain. So that shouldn't have been an issue for the Kraken. But the one thing that I think would have been an issue is that Bill Armstrong talked about the importance of getting the highest individual draft pick back possible. Mm -hmm. And one thing the Ottawa Senators had working in their favor was the fact that they are currently not in playoff position. And right. so their first rounder this year, you know, it, it could theoretically go as high as number one if you win, you know, if they fall down the standings and win the draft lottery. Uh, and so it was a top five protected pick. The senators obviously don't want to win the lottery for Connor Bedard and then have that pick uh, go to get Jacob Chikrin. So they protected it there. But the pick ultimately could be as high as number six. And, and that was something that Armstrong was talking about being really important to him. And frankly, just something the Kraken could not have offered because yeah. their first round pick just isn't going to be that high. They're going to make the playoffs. So that was an impediment in the deal, but they certainly had enough value, I would think, to make up for that on a value standpoint when you have three second round picks. But maybe getting that, trading up for a higher pick, all of that stuff is just not something Bill Armstrong wanted to bother with. Yeah, I, I agree. It sounds like that's all what it is. I'm with you. The money thing doesn't, you know, shouldn't have mattered that much, all things considered. Um, I still just think like, yeah, you know, we, we talk about how deep this draft class is particular and you look at at what Ottawa gave them and they gave them, you know, Washington's second round pick next year and then a 2026 second round pick like the Kraken had three this year. You could have given them a first and two this year. You know what I mean? In a much deeper draft class, Bill Armstrong can go and bundle, you know, any portion of that to try to move up in the draft if he wants. You look at Arizona, they have they already had three second round picks next year. They only had the one this year in this really deep draft. I I still think that that would have been maybe a slightly more enticing offer it certainly would have been more comparable um i i don't know that ron francis was ever really looking into this i just brought it up and i had the ex the insane asking price because you know up until well just like two days ago when kaylin addison overtook him jacob chikrin was leading the league in in um you know, relative expected goals percentage as far as like you know helping produce when you otherwise shouldn't be or, or over what the team is doing without you. And he was doing that on that terrible Coyotes team. And it's just like, this, this guy is that good. He is elite. He is a top five defenseman in this league on an amazing contract that he'll still be under for two seasons after this one. It still doesn't compute in my brain, even with all those things that Bill Armstrong talked about, it still just doesn't compute in my brain that this is what he was moved for. Like it's crazy. I know it, it just doesn't make sense. And I think it it highlights, honestly, the kind of joke of a state the Coyotes franchise is in, yeah. that you're having to accept much less of a return on a key asset like that because ownership can't take on, you know, in the grand scheme of things with an NHL salary cap, very small amounts of money. Uh, it, it's 
yeah, this is not how an NHL team should be operating or forced to operate. So again, not blaming Armstrong, the GM, he's doing yeah. the best with what he can with the restraints he was under. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a steal for whoever was able to get that deal done. Yeah. And I, I think the Kraken maybe could have been in that position, but, but ultimately weren't. Um, and I did ask Ron Francis too. I tried to get it an answer here. I know if I asked specifically about Chick Rennie, he'd be like, well, I'm not commenting yeah, he, on any well, rumors. Yeah. He's not allowed to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I asked in general, I said that there were some big name players that were moved around the deadline that maybe could fit for now in the future. Cause he just got done talking about how he wasn't, was not interested in a rental. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, but there were players that under with term left, like, was that, did you just feel the timing wasn't right? Or, you know, why did you choose not to kind of get involved in, in that? And I, I'm looking at his answer again, you know, on the transcription, he said, well, it, it comes down to the price, you know, is it a first, is it a second, is it multiple picks, a first and a second, you know, as I said, we're balancing this thing being just our second full year in the league. We're trying to make sure we're competitive as we can each and every night. We also want to make sure we're building that solid foundation. We have a real strong organization here moving forward. And those picks and those draft picks are valuable here for our franchise. I'm going to stop now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> GM answer. You get the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we get it. And look, I, I've got no problem with the Kraken holding on to as many picks as possible, especially in a deep draft like this one, where those second round picks, you're going to find really, really good value. Guys in the second round this year that would otherwise be first round picks in other draft classes, just because of how deep it is. And we know one thing about the Kraken. I mean, we know multiple things about the Kraken. Like, they play at CPA, for example. We know that. Um, we also know, though, that they have a great amateur scouting department. Their analytics team works really, really well with them. They do a fantastic job drafting players. Like, we just, we absolutely know that looking at their prospect pool. And not just in the second round, given that they just had four second round picks this past draft, and all of them look really solid. Talking third round. Grabbing guys like Ryan Winterton in the third round, and then the following season picking up a Ty Nelson in the third round. Like, that is not, like, you know, typical for NHL teams uh, to, to be able to find peop- uh, players like that later in drafts um, that just then, you know, have a tendency to explode, like, right after that and look like amazing talents. And everybody's like, why was this person, why did this guy fall so far? And wow, the Kraken, they, they grabbed him. They must know what they're doing. Uh, it's, a, it's a really nice thing to be part of a, you know, be covering a team where, you know, that's that's the reality of things. So them holding on to picks, I'm fine with it. It was just, you know, trying to think of now in the future. Jacob Chikrin's pretty good. It would have been cool. <laughs> it would have been cool. <laughs> Yeah. All right. And I think I'll, I'll go over the what if too in the armchair GM chat yes. tonight. So patrons, uh, be ready for that. Yes. Second, second ever armchair GM, um, stream tonight for the patrons over on patreon.com slash emerald city hockey if you're interested go check that out uh rj's doing those monthly i got my prospect chats talking about all the prospects look at those once a month with live streams all that good stuff it's all on the on the patreon and as well as our two-part like two and a half hour long combined uh red glares talking about all the deals done at the deadline um that's all that stuff's over on on patreon all right, so moving over to to the Kraken, RJ. We we talked. We're just talking about the the future part of the now and the future. Let's talk about the now part, or at least the last week's worth of history. Uh, and in that time, the Kraken have gone four and zero, gone on this road trip. It's fantastic. Everything's back to being good. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's uh, winning. Winning cures a lot, and um, they they were able to get some wins against maybe some not very good teams, uh, but then they close it out with a really convincing win against the defending Cup champs in Colorado. 
Yeah, that's for sure. So kicking things off uh, last Tuesday in St. Louis to, to, to finish off the end of the month, it was not a pretty win, RJ. It definitely wasn't. It was one where that, that uh, St. Louis team looked highly motivated. And not that the Kraken didn't look motivated, but the Kraken weren't necessarily always able to keep pace with them. Uh, and that was a little concerning. But end of the day, St. Louis sold off a lot of their a lot of their uh, top end talent there. The Kraken's talent was able just to come through for them, um, and the and the Kraken were able to kick off the road trip right, which I felt like they kind of needed after that you know up and down homestand. Absolutely, and coming off a three game losing streak, they needed that win mm -hmm. in in the worst way. Just it doesn't matter how you get it, just get the two points. Uh, and this team has consistently been able to stop every losing streak at three this season uh, and, and just have that confidence to know you can do it. Huge for the group. It, it was a rough game. Uh, you know, Martin Jones, not the best in that one, uh, mm -hmm. but they they escape with a win when you when you don't get all that good goaltending. And it's good to see the team can do that again. Reminds me yep. of the, the January road trip where it seemed like they were able to outscore their problems a lot. So it's a good sign after... Uh, not scoring a whole lot in the, the homestand. Definitely. And, you know, it was it was a sign of things to come where you get um, a Jared McCann goal. We'll talk about him some more uh, as we finish out talking about this road trip. But a couple goals from Morgan Geeky. Alexiak picks up another. And then uh, Tanev doing what he does uh, with those empty netters. Um, but it was it was a good like kind of example of you know like you said when the Kraken outscore their problems this is how they do it they'll 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 get a good goal from from one of their guys like a like a McCann but then the depth the depth players really step up and, and are able to contribute and obviously this season the defense has been a big part of that as well then move on to Detroit this game again definitely not a pretty game like this was a game ugly this was ugly yes it was Kraken many times able to able to put together leads only to kind of give them away including late again or, or late in the second I should say but you know as far as the scoring goes um it, it just it wasn't a good game Archie no I mean this this might have been the ugliest win for the Kraken of the season uh, maybe aside from that that Kings game um but uh yeah it, it was it was just it was a bad game all around the Kraken should have had the Red Wings beaten easily yeah. Detroit looked frankly awful in this game but the Kraken just kept making defensive mistakes giving it basically giving the game back to them uh leaving the front of the net undefended mm -hmm. uh Lots of problems there and uh, ending up blowing a 3-1 lead too. I mean, you, you go yeah. out to a 3-1 lead early in the first. That can't happen. But thankfully, Detroit, not a very good team. Uh, you know, they, they help keep the crack in it, I guess, you know, looking at it the other way. Um, and Oliver Bjorkstrand is the hero in overtime, getting a much needed two points. But mm -hmm. again, concern level mounting with this one after this game. Just like, okay, if you play a good team, what's going to happen? Yeah, another another rough start in net for Martin Jones. Grubauer is having to come in. You know, you got to play again the next day. You never want to have to go, you know, play both goaltenders in that sort of situation. You just don't. Um, it yeah, it was it was really bad. the The defending in this one was atrocious. It, arguably the worst that it's been all season long. Just as far as leaving guys wide open, screening the goaltender, both of them. Uh, you know what I mean? Both goaltenders in this one. Um, it was it was really really rough. However. Looking back on things, RJ, you're able to start to see there were some signs of, of some things turning a corner. You mentioned Bjorkstrand getting the overtime winner. Talking about Jared McCann, he's able to pick up a couple more in this one. Jaden Schwartz got going. Um, 
I think this was a game, and, and we'll talk about this as we cover them in the next two games, where the top six started to wake up. The power play started to look better. You go one for five in this game. However, a couple of the goals were scored kind of right after power play. So the power plays contributed to some additional goals for the Kraken in this one. And those were two things that we were really, really worried about through just about all of February was top six is not contributing as much as they need to be, given that they're your top six. They are the ones supposed to be scoring. And then obviously the power play just, you know, and this is not a new problem for the Kraken. This has been a year long problem, but the power play just being the thing that either keeps your wins close with another team or or has you lose maybe a one goal game just because you know you go over for four or something unable to get something done and special teams because becomes that difference i think for this detroit game despite how bad the defending was and the and the issues there i think this was this was kind of the start of something good offensively agreed uh and the power play can be the great uh the great uh, separator or the great equalizer, right? Yes. In a game, that's what I was getting at. Um, you know, it, it can give you that that leads over other teams, where you can put a game away, but it can also steal you points in, in games where maybe you're you're trailing a little bit. Um, and the power play looked actually quite good in that mm -hmm. game, despite the numbers not fully showing it. But a couple of very power play influenced goals, uh, and you'd see that kind of carry over into the next day against Columbus. And yeah, the top six. They were heating up in this one, and, and they are still hot, as we'll see over these next couple games. They've stayed hot. Uh, Jared McCann, uh, very close to, to scoring goal number 30 in that yeah. one. In the almost had a first period hat, hat trick, trick at the yeah. very end of the period. He was feeling it uh, in that game. Um, and, and yeah, you're just seeing contributions from basically everyone in that top six, and that's what the Kraken needed too. Uh, they weren't getting those. It was leading to losses, and um, you need your best players to be your best players sometimes. Yeah, you, you do. It's it's just kind of the way things are in this in this sport. It's it's a team sport, but boy, if you have like some really good players and they're able to show up like each and every night, that does help you. <laughs> it does. They can't they can't do everything, but boy, it, it can it can certainly give your your team a boost. Um, looking then to the next night uh, over Columbus, much better looking game. I mean, it wasn't like an exciting game. Certainly, the first period was was not exciting. Um, but Kraken, you know, dominate the the shots uh in this one as as you said the power play rolls over go two for four in this game i mean i can't remember the last time kraken scored two power play goals in a game felt like a million years uh but jared mccann getting getting uh one of them alexander wenberg getting one of them uh we'll talk and about a pretty him. one as well i know we'll, we'll talk about him and then also jordan everly uh picking up a goal getting back on the on the stat sheet himself uh yeah i mean wenberg Play net front on the power play now, RJ. Really, this whole road trip looking really, really natural there, especially when he's deciding to like shoot the puck. Absolutely, and and just unlocking that bit of his game. It's amazing what that can do for him. Uh, and um, I, I like uh, Allison. Uh, Allison Lucan brought up a, an interesting quote from Hackstall after the game in Columbus um, about what. Wenberg does net front, and I'm I'm not surprised she you know asked a good question about this. But Hackstall said, you know, he, he does a good job net front. He can move from the net front to the goal line and see a play and make a play. You saw how quick he went from goal line all in one motion. I think talking about the goal, that's a really skilled play to be able uh, to to be able to do. Number one, get that puck from the top of the blue paint, and then he found a hole. And it's nice to have that element. He can distribute from there. He can be in a goaltender's eyes, and then on that type of play, he can be able to go straight to the goal line and take it to the net. It was a skilled play and very timely for us. 
Yeah, it's true. It was. I mean, it you you need a you need a pair of hands to do that. You know what I mean? Like like good hands. And Wenberg has always had that. We we've, we've seen that with um obviously his passing comes to mind first for obvious reasons. But he's <laughs> he is a good puck handler. He can do things like that. And I think him deciding to be maybe a little bit more aggressive than we've seen from him in the past, particularly on the power play, particularly when he's going to be in tight there. I mean, it just adds something that the Kraken have been missing for so long. And it makes the especially the power play that much more dynamic. Definitely. And and it's something that we've highlighted, just the the struggles net front on the power play. And I think they've mostly fixed that by, I mean, there's two ways you can fix it. You can put new personnel there, yep. like moving a Yanni Gord net front, which has helped quite a bit, or you can try and adjust the mindset from the people who are already doing it. Like Alex Wenberg has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's created a, a much better power play overall for the Kraken. And I think that's part of what's made it so frustrating in general with Wenberg is we've known all along. He's capable of this. He's always yeah. had that skill. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just one of those that you just need to uh, need to be unleashed in that way and 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 uh, get the mindset there. Um, it's it's the big like the big takeaway from this whole road trip for the Kraken and against the Kraken was just the idea of net front traffic. The goalie can't see the puck. How are they supposed to stop the puck? And and we saw that bite the Kraken a little bit. But it was nice to also see through all four of these games, RJ, the Kraken make like a a very obvious effort to try to create traffic net front and to get goals uh, being scored from having traffic net front. Well, that'll obviously carry over when we talk about the final game there. The last thing I want to talk about, though, is what a great performance from Philip Grubauer as well in this Columbus game after having to come in and finish the game the night before and then come out and put together just the really super strong performance against the Blue Jackets. He was back like that was the moment you knew like, okay, but he he had like a a, a tiny step back after his like three or four big leaps forward. Uh, But this was like, okay, he's back on the right track now. And he had to keep the Kraken in the game for a while in, in yes. the first period. You know, it, it took a while for the Kraken to get going, too. I think that's something that should be mentioned about this game. Yeah. That you talk halfway into the game, really, you yeah. know, Lion A scores to make it one nothing Columbus. And, and they've got the better of just about everything in that game. It took until about halfway through for the Kraken to really wake up and start to play better. And in that meantime, you need Philip Grubauer to be playing as well as he is, or else Columbus is going to be up one nothing, two nothing, you know, in a position where they can hang on to a lead and put you away. Um, and, and Grubauer absolutely did his thing. Uh, and to see that on both halves of a back-to-back, that's a tough assignment for any goalie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's starter-type stuff. You know, we've we've had questions about Grubauer earlier on in the season where Jones kind of taken over the job. Like, can this guy return to even doing a starter's job, being in that starter's workload? And he's answering those now. Absolutely. Yeah, you bring it up. I mean, Columbus had 10 first period shots, then only five in the second and eight in the third. I mean, they they were at their most effective the first half of that game and Grubauer absolutely kept them in it uh, through all that. And then Grubauer carrying that forward into Colorado against his former team, against the defending Stanley Cup champions. Kraken go into this game. You know, this is a tough team. It's a fast team. There's all sorts of stuff you got to deal with, altitude, all of it. And the Kraken hung in there. They, they, you know, they took, they took some punches, no doubt about that. Right. It's a, it's, this is a very talented avalanche team. You know, Nathan McKinnon is going to get a goal against you. That's just the way it is. 
uh, but the but the Kraken, you know, they were able to just keep battling, just keep fighting, just keep trusting their process, trusting in their system, trusting in what they want to do. You get that Alexander Wenberg sweet tip again. Just get traffic net front. He, I think he was originally just going for a moving screen, but hey, the puck's there. Might as well tip it in. And uh, once that happened, you felt like okay, the Kraken could get going. But then a response goal. Uh oh! This is like <laughs> oh, we've no. seen we've seen this play out before, right? They get the response goal, but again, Kraken never say die, never say die. This has been really their mantra through you know ninety five percent of this season. And uh, Brandon Tanov able to get a third period goal that wasn't on an empty net. It was a game tying goal, able to send it to overtime where Yanni Gord is able to get the game winner. How about that, RJ? The last goal of every game so far during this road trip was either a Brandon Tanov empty net or a Kraken OT winner. Huh. Interesting. I mean, yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. It's a but small yeah, it, it was all, size. <laughs> of, of course, of course, as these things are, but uh, it, it was all about sticking with it. You're right in yeah. this game and it, for having to plug away for over 25 minutes of game time too. It was a long time mm-hmm. between uh, Dennis, uh, Denny Mulgan getting the, um, the go ahead goal for Colorado in the second period and Tanev tying it late in the third. I mean, that that's a lot of just having to stick with your game, despite a lot of chances, not really going in. Um, but that's the kind of mindset you have to have. And that's really what the Kraken have done all season long is just stick with their game and, and know that they will prevail uh, if they continue to play their game well. And this win was so reassuring overall. And I've talked about it on the podcast because it's been so long right. uh, that the Kraken had actually beaten a good team. It had been 45 days since the Kraken had beaten a playoff team. And I know I've said that time and time again, but after a road trip, where you look at two of the wins were downright ugly yeah and one of them was not particularly pretty and they're all against bad teams Mm -hmm. i i wanted to see what the kraken could do against an actually good team and to know that they can beat the defending champs like this that they can step up and play up to their opponent instead of just playing down to their opponent super reassuring for me i feel a lot better uh after this game and and especially in against the avalanche instead of if it was, you know, Columbus again or something yeah. like that. No, I'm right there with you because this is a this is a good Avs team. Obviously they're defending cup champions. Uh yes, you know, some pieces moved around in the offseason since then. They're still dealing with some injuries to some key guys. But the bottom line is this is a fast team. This is a team that has some all-world talent guys on it and Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, guys like that. Um it's a good team and anytime you can get a win against a good team particularly one like this that like you've watched that first period rj that felt like a playoff game talking seven six shots each uh, in favor of the kraken there but you know only 13 combined shots it was just like a gritty game everybody's skating everybody's forechecking hard everybody you know there's a puck battle anytime it goes anywhere close to the boards it's a battle um and to see the kraken kind of have to play that game and stick with that game and grind it out and trust in themselves to come through in the end in a game like that, that totally gave me so much confidence as we start looking ahead towards playoff time. And obviously there's still, you know, a lot of games you got to finish off before then, but it's, it's, it is, as you said, it's the wind we kind of needed to see from this team because those were the questions we had. Those were, you know, they were, they, they were struggling in those games. Certainly last month, uh, you, you think back to like the Boston game that was that way. And, you know, yes, they were able to keep it close, but um, they weren't able to get the win, uh, was the bottom line. And then you look at then the Leafs game and they, 
tried to kind of play that way and they really weren't capable of hanging with that Toronto team at all. And so to see them, see them get that win against the avalanche, just absolutely huge. Still some things that are a little worrying for me, like going 0 for 5 on the power play in this one after everything was starting to look good. You go 0 has for to be 5. About. I, I know it has to in part because you start off the third period, you're down a goal with a 5 on 3 and just like nothing. For full two minutes too. A full yep. two minute 5 full on two minute, 3. 5 on 3. Like Very the, rare that you get that at, at any point in hockey where the other team yeah. takes two penalties at the same time. You get fresh ice. Uh, you have an entire intermission to draw something up to. Mm-hmm. I just that situation is, is almost as rare as it comes in hockey yeah. as far as a chance to tie a game and get back in it. And if you know, you've still got the power play if you score, potentially even take the lead. And it was just an uninspiring five on three. It was very, very, totally. I mean, it's it was not good. It was not uh, what I wanted to see in that kind of situation. But you know, I like I said, I just I I needed to bring it up because we had talked about the power play looking better. Took a step back in this Colorado game. We'll see how they look. You know, moving forward, it could just be a two steps forward, one step back. I'm fine with that, right? Like talked about that with Philip Grubauer. Um, but it was that that was one thing that did concern me from an otherwise dominant performance i mean we haven't even talked about the fact that in overtime colorado never even touched the puck yeah i i think yeah it's worth talking about certainly overtime and in general overtime yeah uh, because the kraken started the season zero and three in overtime it was a big problem uh, they looked quite bad in those three games yep and then dave hackstall and the coaching staff took it upon themselves realized there was a problem and took two solid days of practice to just work on it, work on it, work on it, change their approach to a more conservative type approach. And they're seven and zero in overtime since. I mean, that is that is seven huge points banked in the standings. Take a look at the standings, see where the Kraken are without those seven points. Uh, and you see how big of a turnaround that was for their season. And I think just they deserve to be celebrated for that. Yeah, without that seven points, Kraken have 71 and they are uh, they would be. Um kind of they'd be out of the playoffs they'd be below the both wild card teams Edmonton and Winnipeg uh or I guess they would be a wild card team because Edmonton would move up into the Pacific and then they, so they'd be the second wild card teams bottom line but they'd be barely ahead of of Nashville who would have three games in hand and we'd be really sweating things out that's for sure uh now if only they can maybe they need to just try a practice RJ for the shootout just a whole practice nothing but shootout and they have had practices mostly earlier on in the season where they'll just cycle through everyone and have them do their shootout moves. It's been a while because I, I think rightfully there have been more pressing issues yes, for sure. uh, that they needed to work on. But I think we might see that in a practice this week. And of course, I'll, I'll let everyone know, uh, you know, follow along with the social media and everything, because I, I think I think we might see another like shootout contest again. They like to make fun games of it. And I think that's the right way to do it. But uh, I think they could stand for some more breakaway practice. Yeah, you know, it never hurts to have. And then finally, look, they were able to, and this is this is for all four games, not just this Colorado game, but I think it's it's the most impactful to talk about with the Colorado, uh, with the Colorado team, which is the, their penalty kill has been phenomenal here for for this last stretch of of time. RJ, they're they're, they're looking really really good so far on the on the PK. They're really climbing up uh, the overall league standings. I'm trying to pull it up real quick here, see where we are. Um, we're all the way up to 26th in the league, RJ, on the PK. Like that's hey, awesome. that 
considering where they were, that's pretty darn good. And they had this long stretch of, of penalty kills too. That was like what, seven, eight games or something yeah. that, that ended up getting broken in the Columbus game on a perfect Patrick line, a shot that's just special shot from a special yep. player. Um, but you know, they continued to kill off the rest of the penalties there and, and they've looked really impressive since that first penalty kill against Colorado in the abs game. Mm-hmm. That was so important. Yes. Because you, you take a penalty at that time, you give the abs a chance to to jump out to an early lead there. And Colorado just couldn't get anything going. I was expecting to see a lot more from their skilled players with the open ice. Um, and with with the players that they have, really impressive job from the Kraken. Yeah, no, it's it's been fantastic. We talked about, you know, look, special teams can become that deciding factor. Certainly come playoff time. And so for them to be figured, you know, certainly at least one of those two, they really figured out the PK, making great strides there. And at this point, they're proving that it can be consistent. Like this isn't just like a, oh, we got hot for a little bit and whatever. No, they're they're proving that they can they can do this consistently. They can they can put together a long stretch of time where they're good on the PK. And 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 we're seeing them climb in the standings from there. And part of it is interesting too. You kind of seeing them flip flop a little bit back and forth between like PK styles based on the opponent they're playing, and I really like to see that because you know what I mean. Like that's something you can absolutely do if you feel like going with that you know triangle plus one, the wedge, whatever you want to call it. You feel like that's going to be better against this certain team, and you can run that. And if you think you need to go more traditional, conservative with a box, you go with that. And and so to see them kind of take those differing approaches based on who the opponent is, uh, it kind of feels like an overall step forward for this otherwise young team. Exactly, and and credit to the coaching staff on that too. Yep. It's a lot easier to just kind of have your system, run your system, uh, but to to be flexible, to be variable, it it can help you out quite a bit, especially as we said, come playoff time. Yep. So Kraken doing looking good again. Six three and one their last ten. Looking looking pretty solid here as far as playoff standings go. They are ten points ahead of Nashville, which would be the team uh, that you'd have to worry about um, knocking you out of the equation. Uh, so that's that's a good spot to be in. I'm I'm feeling really good about this this group, RJ. I'm I'm looking forward to this this week ahead, especially because you know you're coming home. Obviously, this, the team has played differently at home this season versus on the road. But <laughs> you you get to start off against a Ducks team that has been a little hot. I'm not gonna lie, like the Ducks are coming in with a little bit of juice, but I still think you know it's nice that you get to start off against a team like the Ducks for your homestand. Right. And it's really just for the Kraken. It's about taking care of business against bad teams. I wanted to see that they could do it once against a good team. I needed to see that. But really going forward, you've got a lot of teams that are not very good on the schedule. You've got, you know, you've got Anaheim, you've got, I think, Ottawa coming up, although they're they're a little better now. Um, You've got a lot of Arizona coming up further down the schedule. If you can just take care of business and pick up the two points consistently against those teams, you're going to be in a really good spot. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's going to be the task ahead for the Kraken, as well as dealing with like the Dallas Stars like a million times in the next week and a half for whatever reason. I won't. I won't get into that again because uh, we got a really fun topic here to to talk about for the for the last bit of this podcast, and that's the Davy Jones hat. And and for those that uh, maybe are unaware, um, Davy Jones hat is is uh, from Davy Jones from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, one of the minority shareholders of the team. 
uh, part owner of the team, uh, brought that in as as kind of like the celebratory, you know, player of the game after a win gets something. This is this has been like a longstanding tradition in hockey. That's what the Kraken uh, ended up going with. So after every game, the 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 current holder of the Davy Jones hat awards it to someone else on the team that they felt like deserved it after that win, uh, did something special or just had, you know, the high energy level, whatever it is. They all have their different ways of, of, of awarding it to a different player. And we had some questions about, you know, if there was any sort of like, you know, friendship bias something going on where we see it like you know goaltenders tend to favor giving it to defensemen maybe or vice versa something like that going on and we had we had talked about this with the community during the um live post game show after the detroit game okay and and we you know everybody kind of had this question a little bit because it's it's one of the fun things about post game is we all wait and see and we we all kind of guess together who's going to get the hat and and what's going on there well, over on the ECH Discord, which is always a fantastic place, so many great um, hockey and Seattle Kraken-based minds over there talking about the team, exploring all sorts of stuff, you know, whether it's looking at prospects, whether it's looking at the team, whether it's looking at analytics, uh, whether it's just finding the best places to, to hang out around the arena, like Queen Anne Beer Hall, uh, or, or whatever <laughs> it is, like, like you know, traffic stuff, setting up meetups, uh, you know, Kraken Hockey League, Beer League stuff. There's so many good things over on the Discord, but somebody somebody uh, overheard what we were talking about on that post game and decided to do a little bit of digging and a little bit of tracking on on who's given the Davy Jones hat to whom this season. Okay, so big big shout out to and I I like I, I hope I don't butcher this. How would you say this name? RJ Vi Virene. Uh, let's see. I, I think yeah, I got. So. I... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think that works. Anyway, uh, they did. They did a. So sorry. Apologies if I, if I'm butchering it. I apologize. Uh, but uh, is a is a great post over in our Kraken General chat, uh, talking about it. And and they went through and they plotted out um, all of the the givings of the Davy Jones hat from this season. Uh, and you look at it and there's some interesting things that that come up. I'm going to throw up on on the YouTube version of this podcast right now. The, the kind of um, chart that they did. It's it's not quite a flow chart, but it's kind of like a, I don't know. I don't know what the different charts are in math, RJ. I didn't, t I didn't <laughs> care about that stuff back when I was in school. And look at me now. I'm fumbling my way through a podcast. Um, so <laughs> live out your dreams is what I say, everybody. But it's a chart showing the relationship of who has had the hat and then who they have given it to. It's color coordinated based on position and it's got everybody's names. It's a fantastic chart. Really, really incredible. And it's up to date through really just before last night's game against uh, Colorado. But some interesting things that I want to talk about uh, when we look at this, RJ. And feel free to also say something here. I'm talking for like seven minutes in a row, it feels <laughs> like. Um so the, the big one has been that there hasn't been that many duplicate transfers uh, over this last little bit here. Uh, Borgen has given it to Grubauer twice, uh, and that's kind of it as far as this season goes. And then there's um, only two instances of players giving it to someone who's previously given it to them. Dunn and Tanev have done that with each other, and Larson and Grubauer have done that. But both of those instances were stretched over from one season to the next. So I thought that that was okay. very, that was kind of interesting. So there isn't really like a, well, you took care of me, so I'm going to take care of you thing. Because I think that's something we, we all had had in mind. You know, we were wondering if that was happening. Um, as far as like other things, 
there's there's only a handful of guys who have actually received it more than twice, RJ, and that is Yanni Gord, Alexander Wenberg, and Philip Grubauer. So Philip Grubauer kind of makes a little sense. The goalie, you'd think that, that you would get one. Interesting, though, because he hasn't started the majority of games for this team. So that's right. That is an interesting. It's true. Yeah. So, so he's got more than Martin Jones, what you're saying. That's that is exactly what I am saying. Uh, Martin Jones has has two. Philip Grubauer has a three um, and then Joy Decor with one. So just throwing that one in there. Uh, and then there's there's only two people who have not received it at all. Do, would you care to guess who those are, RJ? As I mean, we, the, as aside from the new editions, or as we put them on blast here, well, yes, it's not like you know, Jesper from Magna, and yeah, yeah no, <laughs> okay, two two regulars that haven't gotten it yet, yeah. Um, let's see, it's it's one forward and one defenseman. If you if you want to try to take a take a guess there, uh, all right, I think let's it's, see, it's a little interesting. Is the defenseman no? Schultz has gotten it. Um, there's only six choices. I know, I know, I know. Um, Alexiak? It's no, not, he must have. Yeah, it's it's not Alexiak. Susie? It is Carson Susie. So okay. Carson Susie not been shown some Davy Jones love. And with the forward group. I'm glad we're breaking this out now and not right before the deadline. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. That would have been a, <laughs> that would have been a whole thing if we had. Uh, and then a forward group. I won't make you guess it. It's actually Andre Burakovsky. So kind of bookending the podcast a little bit there. Interesting. He's missed some time though. You know, so there's mm-hmm. that's that's probably what what there is to talk about. Um, the other key thing, though, that I look at when I look at this RJ. So Sprong's got real quick. So Sprong's gotten it right. Uh, I, yes, he has. Philip Grubauer gave it to Daniel Sprong. Okay, so Sprong's had it once, right? Yes. Who did he give it to? Because that's like the guy I would think for sure would give it to Burakovsky. Alexander Wenberg. Okay. Well, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, who knows what Wenny did in that game? But that's what I'm saying. This is what makes this chart so incredible. Is that uh, it, it's got all of this information. We could totally see, like, like, the, like. There's this nice train uh, from Larson to Geeky to Schultz to Tanev to Dunn to Borgen to Grubauer. Like, you can track all that going through. Like, this is so. Okay. Awesome. How does it? How does it represent the time that that Gord gave it to? That I think Grubauer gave it to Gord, who gave it to Borgen all for one game. I don't know. You would have to ask the author okay, <laughs> how, gotcha. that, how that went through. <laughs> I, I don't know how that went through. Uh, but I was just going to say, Yanni Gord with the most, um, with the most, you know, times receiving this four times, Yanni Gord has received the Davy Jones hat to lead this team. I mean, is that, is that significant, RJ? Is that everybody's saying, you know, another example of why you should be captain? It's definitely fuel for the Yanni for captain people. I, I'm <laughs> I'm with you on that. Um, but uh, again, it's it's working. You know, the whole leadership structure, it is working. But I mean, again, Yanni is so respected in the room. I think it, it shows exactly that, like what the other players think of him. Um, and and we, we saw it again just la- in this last game against Colorado, stepping up for the game winner, uh, you know, being just fiery and intense all game. I, I love the, you know, the mean mug from him as, as the, the celebration after the OT winner. I mean, what's not to love about Yanni Gord? The, yeah. the fans love him and this shows the players love him. Yeah, no, for sure. And what's, here's something that's interesting. Yanni Gord, obviously he's received it four times, which means he's had to give it back out four times. Mm-hmm. Okay. Three of those times he has given it to a defenseman. 
think interesting. that's interesting. I, I think he appreciates what they do. Yeah, I th- and you know what? As far as I'm concerned, that's another example of leadership. You know, kind of kind of looking beyond your group, the group of guys you're hanging out with, the guys you're looking at film with, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, I think that that's that's pretty significant there. Uh, and then the and one it's supposed to differ from the three stars also, and and yes. the three stars are always looking. Okay, who scored the goals? Who got all the points? Exactly. Yeah, you know, defensemen are kind of underrepresented there. So I, I think Yanni's thinking with that in mind too. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then uh, you know the big thing as far as well then who who is the one forward that Yanni has given it to right because then that means something if Yanni's only going to give it mm-hmm. to a forward a very select at, you know 25 percent of the time who who is that it's Matty Veneers the future captain of the Seattle Kraken ah uh, there you go <laughs> kind of passing the, the the torch there um all right so I mean that's the thing for the Yanni for captain people yes you know you look yeah. at all that times he's gotten the Davy Jones hat that's captain material yeah. But look at the one forward who he's given it to. <laughs> yeah. The one forward that he's like, you know, this guy, this guy might be, might be, you know, on my level here. It's, it's Matty Beneers. Uh, that's obviously not what he thinks at all. I just like talking about that. Um, this is the one thing that I thought was interesting though, as well. And, and, you know, I'm sure everybody's going to roll their eyes when I bring this up, but Adam Larson, there you go. Thank you for that. There we go. That was, that was, it was worthy of it. Adam Larson has received it twice both times from goaltenders okay i'm not surprised by that he, he, well i'm guessing one from jones one from grubauer is, is the factor in here Decord factors in there got it from from joey uh and then one from philip grubauer so just just saying uh goalies goalie you know grubauer's given it out <laughs> to, to only one defenseman and it was adam larson means something I'm I'm not surprised by that. I mean, just watch Adam Larson play. You won't be surprised by it. Um, that that's a fun stat. Yeah, uh, it's it's a good one for sure. So I just thought I'd bring that one up. I guess you know you could you could go back to Yanni Gord. He got one from from uh, Martin Jones. Wenberg got one from Martin Jones. They're both very responsible defensive centers. Can come back. They help out the defense. They take away guys in the slot. So you know Martin Jones also showing some love for the people who could help make his life a little bit easier as well. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, because I, it really does track a lot of the times, you know, giving yeah. it out to like yeah, defensively responsible players, basically what you'd respect uh, in the other player, which is pretty cool. Yes, and then last one here because I could go on forever about this. I I just think this is fantastic. This is so incredible, and there's there's lots of fun stuff to to go on in here. Um, is uh, Jordan Eberle, okay? Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's a, he's a father think of him as as one of the the older guys on the team been around certainly in a leadership position jordan everly taking care of of uh of i believe it's kale flurry here uh on this on this one Aww. taking care of the young kid uh papa ebbs getting it done there <laughs> love that and that's leadership I, I i you know as much as as we talk you know yanni for captain all stuff jordan everly is is such an underrated leader in that locker room like everybody yeah. you know majorly respects him in that room and doesn't always get all the attention for, there's no you know ebbs for captain crowd but i'm telling you he he totally could be yeah, you were there a little bit i yeah that's the i'm i'm like was the only one in the ebbs for captain crowd yeah but uh, but that's okay yeah you were there so uh yeah just another huge shout out to you want to try it this time give a different pronunciation yeah, uh, Vaiharen. Vi- I'm, I'm yeah. but anyway yeah. thank you so much it, for making this like yeah even beyond this on the podcast, Dylan and I have had so much fun just looking at this and talking about it, discussing it yeah. as has the whole community. I mean, just 
thank you. Great, great job. This is this is what we love to see from the community and, and just something that makes makes the Discord so fun and so cool. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and just, yeah, shout outs to you. Shout outs to everybody who, who contributes over on the Discord because there's always something that uh, even even you and I can learn about from the Seattle Kraken on there. Yeah. Just because everybody's got, you know, slightly different interests around the shared interest of the Seattle Kraken and then everybody gets to share uh, about it on the Discord. And it's just such a such an amazing, fun time. Absolutely love it. Uh, one of my and if you want to see more cool this. stuff like that, Go join the Discord. If you're watching this yes. on YouTube, the link is below. You can mm -hmm. find it on our on our social media too. The link to the Discord. Yeah. I hop on there. You will not regret it. Yep, yep. Join a couple hundred other Kraken fans who are on there mm -hmm. too, just to throw that out there. <laughs> like this isn't just like a, a little thing for like the the big nerds. Like no, there's a ton of people on there. We're all having a fantastic time. I love it. Uh, all right. So with that though, I think that's gonna it's gonna bring an end to this episode of the Deep Dive Podcast. Should be another good week of Kraken hockey. You know, you, we get that Ducks game as we talked about. Get some get some looks at Dallas Stars team. Further tests for this Kraken group, RJ, against a very, very, very good team this year. A, a team that, you know, is, is definitely one of, one of the big ones to watch in the Western Conference come playoff time. So I am looking forward to see how the Kraken perform in that one. Obviously looking forward to all the other stuff uh, involving the Kraken this upcoming week. One more shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring this podcast and all the post-game lives. We talked about that a bunch this time too, this podcast as well. And then one more reminder for everybody, RJ hosting that Armchair GM stream on Patreon live tonight on you know Monday the 6th. Uh, if you're listening to this later in the week, sorry, it's, you've missed it. However, all the VODs are there. You can always go back and watch any of our previous, whether it's, it's the Armchair GM streams, the Prospect live chats, the live game commentaries that we do, which we did for that St. Louis game that was so much fun. All that stuff is available if you join and become a Terror of the Deep tier patron on Patreon. You have access to all of those old streams and stuff, so you can go back and, and listen to those as well if you are uh, unable to make it live. So I, I think that's uh, one of the really, really cool things about what we do. But uh, all right, uh, enough of all that. Everybody, go enjoy your week. Uh, enjoy some more uh, Seattle Kraken hockey, and we'll see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Austin H, Austin W, Beef, Ben, Burnt Creme, Chris, Coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Emmy Chan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Jay, Joni, Joshua, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Kyle, Leanne, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.